1: Dr. Katrina O'Sullivan came to mind immediately when I started thinking about people who'd had a big year. Her book Poor was an absolutely massive success. She won not one, but two book awards recently. And I have never received so many messages about a person as I have about Katrina. So many of you sent me messages saying, you have to talk to her. You have to talk to her. You have to talk to her. And the truth is, um, first of all, it took me a while to get to the book, which I regret because I found reading the book to be a really, um, oh my God, I don't know, like profound experience. Um, On a personal level, there are parallels between Katrina's experience as a child and my experiences as a child um, that I was not prepared for. Um, I cried lots uh, reading the book and I cried during the conversation you're about to hear. Um, I... I loved it Uh, but it did take me a while to get there so I was a little bit late and then secondly I knew that there was just no way that myself and Katrina were going to be able to have a conversation that would be short enough to fit into the regular format of this podcast. So then when it came time to think about who I wanted to have longer conversations with to fill in these Christmas weeks so that I could have a little break I immediately thought this is the time it's got to be now me and Katrina are finally going to sit down and talk Um, and we did she was so kind she invited me to her home in dublin and we sat down and we talked for more than an hour and honest to god i i would have talked to her for six years Um, she is so warm and articulate and intelligent and considerate but like also normal and human and i just i love her um i would like her to be my family (laughs) is that weird that's how I feel Um, and I can imagine there are lots of people who feel that way because I think that there are probably thousands if not you know more than that people of people who also connected to Katrina's book and and found themselves reflected in it in a way that they had never felt before which was certainly my experience and I think when people feel like that they feel a really deep connection to you and that's why I feel very deeply connected to Dr. Katrina O'Sullivan she's probably never going to want to see me again if she (laughs) listens to this intro um. but I do I think she's amazing and I think we have so much that we could learn from her and as I say I could have done 100 100 hours with her Um. however what we did talk about I think is 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 a really good lesson we this isn't an interview per se it's more a conversation between two people who do have shared experiences but also obviously Katrina just has so much wisdom you know given the fact that she is you know a university professor she's an award-winning university professor and she has put so much thought into how it is that we can improve the lives of people who are disadvantaged from the get-go and not out of any fault of their own but just through you know the family that they're born into or the circumstances that they're born into I know you're gonna love this I'll stop talking now so you can just enjoy Dr. Katrina O'Sullivan a living legend. Katrina O'Sullivan, I am sitting in your kitchen, your beautiful kitchen. It has to be said, I'm obsessed with green kitchen tiles and um, excellent choices. Um, <laughs> but behind you is um, two Irish book awards <laughs> and also a kind of uh, a big card version of the cover of your book, mm. which I think is, I just love that you have them out for everyone to see because <laughs> I, when, if I, I just don't know what to do with things like that. Like mm. I'm always like, move on, don't talk about them. Don't look at them. Yeah. Are you kind of, Reveling in the success of this
2: book, I am. I suppose the big cardboard cutout when we were filming the um, the overall book of the year show, they had this there, so I robbed it at the end of the. I was like, I'm taking that. That's huge. So I'm going to actually frame it and put it in a big frame. You should. Because I think one day, you know, and reveling. I yeah. I'm. I was okay, like, I am driven to be successful. Like, I, I want to be successful in everything I do. I'm not ashamed of that either. No, you shouldn't be. Um, And I think it's a very female thing to not say... We're not allowed, really, to say that we're yeah. driven or... So, like, when I started to write my book, I was like, I really want to win a book award. Yeah. Like, more than anything else, because i won a few other awards, like, in work and stuff, and yeah. they all slag me in the job about that. But the book award just means a lot.
0: Yeah. It means
2: that, like... I suppose literary people recognize that my book is, you know, special and it's, yeah. it's good. So that, and then I got the Matt Cooper people's choice, which is listeners choice, which is like, oh, the, the fans like it too. Yeah, exactly. So, it's both sides of the coin. Yeah. So yeah. it's really great. Yeah.
1: I was so delighted to hear it. Can I ask you a question? Because my friend told me now. Go. We don't have to leave this in the podcast if you
2: don't want me to. Yeah.
1: My friend was at the Book Awards and she said that there was a band who were kind of playing people on and off yes. the stage. And she said that when
2: you won, they, they play- played Money Too Tight to Mention. Money Too Tight to Mention. I did not hear that. So like when I sat down after, Dave was like... Did you hear my husband? He's yeah. like, did you hear what they played? And I was like, no. Because like, usually like I, my, my theme tune is Go Your Own Way. Love it. Which is my, was my mom and dad's favorite yeah. song. And I wanted to name my book Go Your Own Way. Yeah. But I, we would have had to pay the Eagles money. So right. uh, Penguin didn't want to stretch to that. <laughs> so we decided on Paul. But yeah, um, I didn't hear it. And, and so usually when there's music that plays like on the late, late, yeah. it was Go Your Own Way. But in this case, it was money too too tight to mention. I didn't hear it. I didn't know... Until after the fact I think it's a bit fucked up To be fair I think it's I think it's very fucked up It's very fucked up That's why my friend
1: said it to me Because when I said I was interviewing you She was like Oh my god Wait a second They were like I'd love to know What she thought Because they were freaked out I didn't
2: hear it So I actually was so Shocked at winning Because I didn't know I'd won That I didn't hear it
1: This is the problem I suppose with maybe Bands being
2: given Book titles And no context Fucking hell Yeah Like Jesus Yeah so no I didn't hear it But Dave was shocked And so was Lara from Penguin, the yeah. two of them were like, What uh, the hell? Yeah. This is so inappropriate. I, yeah. I didn't notice. I didn't even notice and, oh, Well, yeah. I'm glad
1: you didn't notice yeah. because obviously that's not at all what the night was about. No. And um, I'm so glad that yeah. you had these moments for yeah. yourself because yeah. you deserve it. It was
2: wonderful, actually. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed it.
1: I have to say, people have been saying to me all year, you have to talk to Katrina O'Sullivan. Yeah. You have to talk to Katrina O'Sullivan. You have to talk to Katrina O'Sullivan. And I had your book in my house, but with a four-year-old and a seven-year-old, I honestly don't yeah. get a lot of reading done these I days. Know, of course. But people kept saying it to me and I was like, no, I know, because I really wanted to read it. And when I finally read it, honestly, I could not get over how many, I, it's not even parallels, but how many experiences you had and feelings you described that I connected to so deeply yeah. and intensely mm. feelings that I have never read or heard someone speak about mm. um and and it was really like I had to take a break at one stage because yeah it was, it was almost too too much too yes. similar to my own experiences too on the nose and yeah. um, and I can only imagine that there are lots of people who've come to you and said that yeah. what does that feel like
2: you know what it's um I think because a lot of people have asked me, why do you think it's been so successful? Mm. And I, I think there are there are stories in my story that relate that women particularly can relate to in yeah. lots of different ways. Um so for example, just in, you know, how we feel about our bodies, mm. our experiences with sex and men, abuse, mm. being taken advantage of, like being left,
0: mm.
2: you know, relationships with your mother all these things. And so it's really lovely actually to have, have women and men, cause I've had a lot of men reach out to me, but women particularly tell me that like, it's lovely to have someone who has said what they feel. Yeah. And like, cause it is, yeah. it is so honest Katrina. Yeah. But you know what? It's, it's mad because like, I don't know how to be any other way. Yeah. It's just who I am. Like I'm the same. <laughs> when I was a child, like my brothers called me mouth because yeah. I would never not say it. And I for a long time thought that that was a bad thing.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and I think you just have to find your people in terms of like, who just accept that that's the way you are. Like there's no harm ever intended in the honesty of who I am. It's mm. just, I just can't be any other way and so yeah can I ask about um
1: when you're writing a book like this I I know having written my own story kind of um you have to have some kind of tricky conversations with your family Mm. how
2: was that for you that was really hard yeah so like my husband is completely like he's my biggest fan like completely but like he's completely behind me and was like whatever you want to do love like i'm i'm here like yeah. whatever wherever this goes we're together it's fine and my younger so i've boys as well i have mm. three boys though And um, my youngest two were like whatever mum. like they're mm. you know 15 and 18 you know they were teenagers they didn't really care but my son my 30 year old son
0: yeah
2: he was really against it mm. um and for reasons i think He was afraid for me. Yeah. He was afraid that people were going to judge me. Like John is in the public eye as well Mm. because he plays football. And like he's experienced like negative press and people saying things about him. And, you know, he was really worried about like that. But also like, you know, I think he was scared of me, you know, saying bad things about his grandparents. Like Mm -hmm. he loved his grandparents. Like my mum and dad were great grandparents to him. Yeah. particularly and so he was very scared so that was hard yeah and like I had to say well like this is my life I'm doing what I want to do in my life I love you and respect you but I'm you know you're a man and you're not making decisions in your life because of me for me and I'm not doing that for you yeah you know so that was hard and but it, it, it's actually really made our relationship so much stronger oh. like I wrote the book in some ways for my children yeah. so they can understand me like I'm not I haven't always been the mother that I am today yeah like there's been control and fear and neglect at times and I think like them knowing my story all of it there's an understanding and John has an understanding now yeah now my eldest brother he's still really angry mm. You know,
1: is that the brother that you
2: write the letter to in the book?
1: No, he's angry
2: too. Okay, so my (laughs) eldest one is Michael. Yes, Michael. Sorry, and it's there. Yeah, Yeah. and Matt. So Michael is—he's not like so. He blocked me on all social media, apart from WhatsApp. So he texted me and said, "I'm not following you on anything. I don't want to see anything." And look, that was his protection, yeah, for himself. Like he—he chooses to deal with our childhood the way he chooses to deal with it. And the truth is, like. His experience, we, you can grow up in the same home and have a completely different experience.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: So, like, that was hard because I don't want to hurt anyone. Yeah. You know, especially people who've been hurt already.
0: Yeah.
2: But I I always weighed up. Like, I, I feel really privileged. Like, when I graduated from Trinity, the thing that really hurt me about going to college and Trinity College was realizing that privileged people don't do enough to make the world a fairer place. Mm. And I feel really privileged. And I, I feel really like it's, I have a responsibility with this gift of education and also my experience. So like weighing up the cost and the benefits, I was like the benefits to society, hopefully, yeah. or to other women would outweigh it. So I made the choice to do it.
1: Yeah. I have so much respect for you on that front because I, I really feel the same. Like our situations are not the same at all, but I also grew up with addicted parents mm. and um, my biological dad died when I was three. Mm. Um, and then my mom was an alcoholic um, and then we ultimately were adopted by my aunt and uncle. My uncle, unfortunately, or my dad, who I, I would call now also experiences alcoholism. So, you know, I think, I do think that grow having living in a house with addiction is a very singular experience. Yes. But as you say, every child experiences it differently even yeah. though there's a there's a through line and I do think that when you meet someone who has had that experience there is an understanding yes like you just get it mm. straight away but that yeah. doesn't mean that your experiences are the same
0: of no. course no
1: and it was funny with my family when I wrote my book um my brother and I uh, we are biological siblings he's my only biological sibling but I have two sisters as well and um he and I were not super close like we have chosen to deal with family in in different ways mm. as well and I totally respect his choices but he was actually the one who defended me to the rest of the family. Yeah. Not that the rest of the family were particularly bad, but they you know, they were like, oh, I don't remember it that way or whatever. And my brother said, this is Louise's experience. Yeah. And she will, of course, remember things in her own way. Mm. But we have to respect that it's her right to share her
2: experience. Yeah. And that was amazing for me. Same. That actually happened with me. So um, James, because I use pseudonyms and try to keep them yeah. in my head. It's hard to remember. Yeah. So like, I would have had the most difficult relationship with James growing up. Yeah. Um and we would have fought a lot and you know, really not got on. Mm. And he's been my biggest advocate. Mm. Um we're the closest now that we've ever been and he's a successful human being as well. Yeah. Like he it was funny because he when I started with the media and stuff, he said, Don't talk about me, don't talk about me. And then he, he he read an article and, you know, they were singing my praises and he rang me. He's like, why didn't you talk about me? And I was like, you told me not to. And he's like, tell them I'm great as well. But he's actually been very, very good in, in kind of like brokering relationships with my other siblings and saying to them, look, this is her life, yeah. you know, and I'm really proud of her. Yeah. So, and that makes me emotional, you know, because he's really proud of me. They're all really proud of me, even though they don't relate to me in the same way yeah. anymore. Like I left,
0: yeah. like
2: I have left, um, you know, the cycle or whatever. And some are still in the cycle. Yeah. So like while I talk about my oldest brother, uh, Matthew, at, who I wrote the letter to, he's still in his in the, the cycle that is was prescribed to us yeah. by our childhood and so is my sister mm. and so they never had any choice one of the hard things actually was dealing with in the publishing a- area is like you know the legal element of writing a book and what you write yeah like I remember a comment was made I sure well he's a criminal anyway so it doesn't matter what his thoughts are
0: wow. and that really
2: shocked me I was like what Like, you know, it doesn't matter what we write about him because he's already, you know, been in prison and so he's not really got any legal sway was the comment I got once. And I I was quite shocked about that, you know, but I mean, I, growing up in addiction, yeah, like it's a unique, it's a unique thing. And I think, you know, you meet other people and you just both know. Yeah. Um, In my case, um, unfortunately, because it was both parents, oftentimes, like, lots of people are navigating it when it's one person. Like I always say to Irish audiences, you know, we've all got an alcoholic in the family. And Mm -hmm. if, because you're Irish, you've got an alcoholic in your family. And if you don't know who it is, it's probably you. (laughs) And people laugh and they get nervous, you know, because they're like, I've got to find my alcoholic. But the unique thing, I think, for my story is, I suppose, the two parents... It's quite rare, like a yeah. lot of, lot of where I grew up in the poor community that I grew up was you had the man who was trying to hold the family together and yeah. the dad was the dip. So yeah. and he would be spending all the money and there'd be fights and yeah. everyone was struggling. But in our house, it was just both of them, yeah. which just made it a little bit worse because yeah. you just don't have even any center person or a stable thing yeah. to return to. But addiction in a home is horrific. Yeah. You know, and it, I think it shakes the core of, everybody and just makes you vulnerable to lots of things and that's why i wrote my book too like to to show how like that poverty Mm -hmm. like it's like tendrils that go into all areas of your life you know so i wanted that to be to be known
1: i thought some of the things that really stood out to me that i thought were really valuable to describe and very early in the book you talk about um This might not be a correct quote, but this is what I wrote down in my notes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, it was, it was. You said I knew that stare, the language of the scornful. Mm. Um, you were talking about being looked at. I think by maybe that was the ambulance when your dad overdosed, and I connected to that so deeply because I remember the day that I was separated from my mom. That she, I actually thought we were taken away from her, but she surrendered us. I didn't realise that until later in my life. But um, I just remember we were living in a caravan and the child and family services lady came to the door and knocked on the door and the look on her face, I have never forgotten it. Mm. And I I remember the shame that I felt at the state of the place. I also, I know you you write about being called pissy pants as a a kid. I also was wetting the bed every night and then walking around in the same clothes all Mm. day and just feeling that like disgust at myself and seeing her look of disgust Mm. at me.
2: And I feel like that gets inside you. And I'm not sure if you ever shake that. No, never. And I think like I'm really sensitive to that mm. in, in my job, particularly, or when I'm around people who are in positions of power or the middle class, you know, groups of middle class people, like the judging, the judgment look. Yeah. And, and that's really, it's really hard, you know, because you're already hurt yeah. by your mom and you already know that your mom should love you because the world teaches you that every show every you know Christmas carol all these things they teach you your mans love you and you're not being loved by your mum. just basically that's the thinking in your own mind and then I remember being in school you know they teach you like the green cross code and go to the policemen if anything bad happens but like what do you do when the policemen are the people that are looking at you like you're a piece of shit yeah like that's what my experience was was like not like there were privileged people who had the opportunity to understand, and they didn't, yeah, and they that hurts I think sometimes more, yeah, because like you 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 know your home is unsafe, and then the outside world is unsafe, like there's this reinforcement of the shame,
0: yeah,
2: and that's definitely them them moments like are imprinted on me of yeah. particular people, like the teacher who said when I won the raffle prize, the Michael Jackson picture, ironically, now we know all we know, but back then Mm -hmm. it was like, Michael Jackson picture was brilliant. And I walked past her and I heard her say, I wonder if she'd be able to fit that in her dustbin. And I was like eight. And that was like, that'll never leave me. That'll never leave me. Because like, you're just logical as a child. Like you don't have the cognitive capability to think about things, abstract things. And so you're just like, that really posh woman or privileged woman thinks I'm bad, therefore I must be bad.
0: Yeah.
2: And, like, that happened a lot for me with the police, with the social workers, with teachers. Now, I did have others who were fantastic. But like you, them stares, like, you can close your eyes and still see them. Yeah. And it affects how you feel then about the rest of the world. Yeah. And it's a lifetime recovering from that. Yeah. Like, trust isn't easy. Trust isn't... It takes a long time to actually believe that people are not that way or they're not just hiding that view that they have of you yeah and I still sometimes feel like pissy knickers yeah like (laughs) (laughs) yes I I have three kids like and I cough and sneeze and sometimes I'm like it's I can't hold it and I'm like oh my god I'm gonna smell like it's but it's a a visceral horrible thing like smells like me and Dave sometimes I know I'm waffling here but Dave would say to me what's that smell Like, just of something. And I'd be like, what are you on about? Like, get really defensive. Defensive. But these are like things that you have to manage. Yeah. Like, managing them things is fucking tiring.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny. uh, Like, my life was kind of weird because, like, I, my, my parents would have been, like my adoptive parents, my parents, I'm just going to call them my parents. Yeah. My parents would have been raised, um, like middle class. And so when we moved in with them, they had very middle class kind of sensibilities and yeah. um, life experience, but they were 25 and 26 when they took my brother and I in. Mm. So we had no money. Like, yeah. I mean, no money at all. Um, so we didn't have any of the middle class stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so there was a kind of a snobbery in my house, but then also we weren't able to back that up. Mm. And I always just felt at odds with everything, mm. like at odds with middle-class people, even though my family were kind of ostensibly kind of middle-class in mm. thinking, um, you know, my life experiences weren't things that are usually consistent with, although addiction mm. obviously it doesn't discriminate. Um, that's okay, don't worry. <laughs> um, addiction obviously doesn't discriminate, but like... I remember, I I was just thinking when you were speaking there, the best year I ever had at school was uh, in between living in America and living in Ireland. We lived in England for a year. And, um... We were only there for one year and there were like, there was a boys school and a girls school in the area, but you had to be, you know, you had to get in on an entrance exam or whatever. And the Mm. girls school wouldn't take me because I was only there for one year and I was doing my GCSEs and they were like, well, she'll mess up our league tables because you can't do your GCSEs well in one year. Mm. And so I ended up going to just the local kind of comprehensive school, which was full of kids from like (laughs) such a wide range of backgrounds, you know. Um, and I felt more at home there than I did anywhere else in my entire life. Yeah. And, I, you know, my friends lived in council houses and, you know, apartments and, you know, regular houses and, you know, reg- regular for much of a better word, like a mix of places. But it didn't I didn't feel at odds. Yeah. And it's only actually come to me as you were saying that there that that's I feel like that's totally connected to that feeling of being not right or not enough
2: yeah it's funny you say that because like my dad grew up really middle class he grew up in clontarf he was adopted though Mm. so he had a lot of trauma before his adoption when he was five so my dad actually had like (laughs) he'd be like robbing you and then talking about like shakespeare or (laughs) jane eyre like literally so there was definitely a mismatch in my home like in terms of like my dad was a really intellectual yeah. person, like very clever, very quick, like I am, I'm quick mm. as well. And, but he was, so. but he was a, you know, he was an absolute drug addict and mm. he'd rob you blind and lie to you, but he was really good at it because he had this like middle class kind of way yeah. because he grew up like that. Mm-hmm. And the inconsistency around that was, was funny and like when I moved back to Dublin um, and my dad was in recovery, it was really funny. My dad used to take me to the Gresham. Mm. And I was just, I was just sober myself. And my dad used to take me to the Gresham every week for afternoon tea. And, we'd get, and he'd be like, you need to know that you belong here. Yeah. That you belong here. You are no less than these people. Mm. And we'd get a silver <laughs> coffee, it was coffee, silver coffee pot mm. and scones. But my dad had that kind of like, he had a middle-class air mm. about him because of his because of his background. It's funny what you said there because when I went on to um, Pat Kenny's show when the book first came out, I heard him on the radio as I was driving in and he's like, I got questions for this woman. And I was really nervous because he was like... And I rang in to the research. I was like, like Pat just said, I'm not going in there for an argument. Yeah, And she said, no, no, no. He just... Um, he, you know, he grew up poor as well. And like, he didn't end up like you. So he wants to talk about that, basically. So when I went in, he called oh, me in. This before. is not a visual medium, but I just rolled my eyes <laughs> so intensely hard. But you know what was really, in, it, now he did change his view. So like I said to he called me in. he said, "Oh, I believe you're a bit nervous about it. I said, Pat, like, I don't know if you understand what poverty is. I said, being poor isn't about what you have. Being poor is about what your opportunities are and what your values are. I said, did your mom like want you to go to oh yeah, my mom wants to go to college? The values in our home were very much so so you're middle class. I said, so like having stuff is different to knowing stuff. Yeah. And so knowing the value of education, particularly, I think is is a very important differentiator for for class.
0: Yeah.
2: It's like knowing the value, and even if you can't afford it, you're still instilling that value within your home yeah and so it's a really important conversation because we ignore class in Ireland we just refuse to acknowledge acknowledge it and it's it's so big but like what you talked about there about having like the the in-between I have that now Mm. because my values are like so different Mm. like from where I come from to what Mm. I've learned and how I live my life yeah um, and it's a, it's a hard one to kind of navigate cause you don't really know where, well, I know where I bl- I'm middle class now. Like I would yeah. meet all the craft cascaries, yeah, me too, yeah. but like my, va- my choice in TV shows and my dress sense mm-hmm. are still in, uh, very much in the working class bra- brackets. Mm. And so it's a funny old, um, yeah, it's, it's not, I'm not really knowing where you fit
1: it's interesting, isn't it? That idea of like, I was poor too. And you know, I'm fine. Oh my God. And um, it's very frustrating yeah. <laughs> um, because there are so many contributing factors to the way the course of a person's life goes. And you mm. acknowledge that directly in your book. You know, you say there are certain turning points in your life that like, if you hadn't been there in that time, mm. you know, things might've gone a different way. And you mentioned earlier that you had some really good teachers and you know, there were significant adults in your life weren't there who yeah. kind of really helped you believe that you were capable?
2: Yeah, so my first teacher was Irish, so I was in England, in the middle of England, living in a shitty... The the poorest area, actually, in England was Hillfields in Coventry. Mm. It was full of addiction, full of drug dealing, full of prison, and I went to school, and my first teacher was this lovely Irish teacher, lovely Irish woman from Tyrone, Miss Arkinson, and the first year of my life in school was just... It was blessed, even though I'm not religious in any way. yeah, It was like... I use this analogy where, like, there were, you know, our parents' job is to place lights inside of us with love and consistency and care and food. I always say food because I fucking miss the food. Yeah. And I've spent my life trying to fill up on the food, which mm. is unfortunate, but um, or fortunate, depending on the way you look at it. Mm. And um, this... So I entered school with this dark space in my chest because I didn't have a parent to light me up. And this teacher would just... Her warmth, her expectation of me so um she always expected me to be able to achieve like everybody else yeah you know we live in a world where when poor kids come into the classroom we dumb things down yeah we give them reduced hours we don't think that they'll like there's lots of traveler kids in Ireland who are never asked for their homework Mm. because we don't expect them to be able to and this teacher expected me to be able to do what everybody else did even when I didn't and that was powerful.
0: Yeah.
2: And I, after the first year of school, and she taught me how to wash. Mm. She gave me fresh clothes. Like I have, a lovely, I have a lovely photograph of myself somewhere here when I was like six, five or six, and I have this lovely velvet dress on that she brought in. And, mm-hmm. she, and she never shamed me. Like, you know, when you talked about the stare of the, of the woman yeah. who took you, like Miss Arkinson, I felt the shame. Mm. I knew that she knew. But she never shamed me. Yeah. There's there's a line between care and shame in somebody and she knew it perfectly. So she'd always come down to my level and she'd be like, I found this beautiful dress and it just I just thought your eyes it would so suit you. Mm. And I, I remember I wore it till it didn't fit.
0: Yeah.
2: Um and just, you know, having people acknowledge where you are as a child if you're struggling, yeah. but not like slag your family off. Yeah. She was just brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And like that lit me up. Yeah. I, I I, vividly remember I used to lie in the top bunk of my of my bed and uh, I, my we didn't have a lot of books and so my mom would go to the charity shop or I'd get them from the school library. But I had this children's Bible with all the old Bible stories, which I absolutely loved, by the way. We mm. weren't religious. But I, I remember lying in the bed sometimes and there was murder in my house. Like and I was so afraid and I'd lie with my eyes closed and I'd be like, I'm going to cry a little bit here. Nobody cares. I'm all on my own. What's going to happen? And by the end of that first year, Miss Arkinson would come into my mind. And like teachers... Oh, God, I'm sad. But I think teachers don't always know Mm. the power that they have. Mm -hmm. And so for me, you know, telling my story, telling that story of the importance of what other people can do for poor people and how important it is... That our educators learn
0: yeah.
2: about poverty and inequality mm-hmm. and that they can be the light, yeah. have the expectation, yeah. bring in the spare clothes, not shame kids where they don't have their, yeah. their lunch. Their you know, she always had a bun mm-hmm. for us. Every morning throughout my whole primary school, she gave me breakfast. Yeah. Every single day. And there was never a moment where I felt like I couldn't ask her for something or I couldn't go to her. And I never went to her really and told her much, but it was powerful. But knowing that you could. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I totally get that. Like I have people in in my, when things were
1: particularly turbulent in my childhood, I can can remember Mm. specific people, teachers who, it wasn't even that they did anything. It was the way they made me feel. Like the tiniest bit of affirmation or praise when you're not getting it elsewhere. And I have to say, like my biological mom, the tragedy of my biological mom was that when she was good, she was amazing.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and then when she was drinking, obviously not. Um, like she had it in her to be amazing and that was the biggest heartbreak for her and yeah. the biggest heartbreak for me as an adult looking mm. back. You know, when she was, she I, I read her the bits of my book that were about her when she was dying. And again, she said, you know, that was the biggest heartbreak for her was that she knew she could have been great and she could have. So like, I don't want to take that away from her. It's, uh, you know, I, I did feel loved by her Mm. in those years, but you know, when, when you don't feel that and when you Mm. feel alone, Mm. someone just giving you the tiniest bit of, you know, you're really good at that. Yes. That can be a game changer.
0: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up.
2: Yeah, so (laughs) you mentioned it about, like, my audio book there earlier when you came in. Yeah. Like, Mr. Pickering then was the second teacher in uh, secondary school who, like, he he was magic in some ways because I was just so... Like, poor kids turn into angry teenagers, Mm. you know, and it it depends on your level of poverty, but the, the type that I would have been... Like, I think about the riots. Like, I definitely would have been rioting. Yeah. Definitely, if this was 30 years ago because I was so angry and and so unaware and unable to you know to think critically about life and things and and um my and that's not to diminish anybody who's living in a poor community Mm. or their potential but the end of the day when you're underserved in education in life it's very hard to To understand the nuances of situations. I was actually
1: in the European Parliament earlier this week and there was an MEP who said something and I haven't written it down properly, but it was so mind-blowing to me. What she basically said was, lack of opportunity combined with a lack of any hope that things can change. That's what results in radicalization. And I was like, that is it in a heartbeat. Yeah,
2: exactly. And the reality is like, so, you know, this, this particular teacher as a, as an angry teenager which is what it normally you turn into yeah. and if you're a boy you're, you're you're you know you're robbing cars i actually robbed a car once but and got arrested for it but it, <laughs> I was like crazy teenage girl like I got, I can't actually explain how bad I was as a teenager but like I also wanted to be good yeah like I, I like I wanted someone to find me yeah like I wanted to be
1: that really comes across in yeah, the book yeah. yeah I
2: wanted to be good but I couldn't Yeah. and I was so hurt and upset and angered and you know um this teacher though I think he knew, like... Because I used to read, but I hid it because I didn't want my friends to not think I was cool. And so he there was an incident with my best friend where I Louise was her name as well mm. I said to her I told on her she she got her mum to do her homework and he wrote me a note saying um you should ask Louise for advice and I was mm. like I'm not fucking having that <laughs> I'm bleeding great so I told him I said Louise got her mum to do it and then she, Louise got moved out of class she got moved down to classes and uh, but I think he must have saw in me that I wanted to be yeah. good that it mattered that you. it mattered yeah. and um he used to give me soup at lunchtime and he told me so own story first time I'd ever heard a teacher was normal like a human being a human being not a disciplinarian or somebody just wanted to tell me what to do Mm. and um, he told me his own story he'd left school early but then he just kind of like gave me books and asked my view and used to get me to read out in class and he just always told me that's really good you're really good at this this is brilliant you know and um he, he came to my house and that was a game changer like on the parent teacher meeting he actually randomly turned up my parents never went to parent teacher meeting and he he knocked the door this evening and I was shocked that he was at the door I thought I was in trouble and he said to my dad Mr. O'Sullivan I just I really wanted to see you I just wanted to let you know that Katrina is amazing she's so talented and I think you should do more to to support her and I was standing behind the door listening and like I just grew like another light in my chest. This yeah. wonderful man didn't have to do that for me. Yeah. And that kind of like belief in my ability with words and books, like that stayed with me forever. Like yeah. that's never left me. Yeah. And when I was applying to Trinity College um, <laughs> randomly and I was in the interview and I thought I was, wasn't was going to get in because they were like real posh. Like I thought they were just they, they, were, they were going to judge me. They, they wouldn't get me. And they asked me about books, like what Mister Pickering did for me. It came alive. Yeah. Like my message is always to teachers: like you may never get to see your impact, mm. but trust me, it's, it's lifelong. Mm. And I was able to go, like, well, I know of mice and men, and I know the Merchant of Venice, because I knew I was good at that. And so, yeah, he was powerful in yeah. terms of like intellectually making me feel like I was something, yeah. you know, so yeah, all these like, they're all like stepping stones along the way. Yeah, yeah. And it was brilliant. He was brilliant.
1: And it can be any adult really, can't it? Because like, I remember I have neighbors who were very important, like, you know, and it is the tiniest things. And I think that message that you just said is so important that like, you know, really, you shouldn't underestimate any bit of kindness that you can offer a child in yeah. any situation but especially a child who's coming from a challenging situation
2: yeah I was just cleaning up before you came right so I was like oh god my house has to be clean <laughs> it, and, it really uh, didn't and because sm- my house is disgraceful <laughs> and, uh, well, I don't know it's probably an old thing now because I'm just like clean clean no I feel the same before yeah, people come over and, yes but um, I was cleaning I was really thinking about um so I've been thinking about like Conor McGregor saying that he's going to run for presidency mm. and people keep saying to me, you should run for president. You should run for president. Like, you know, Kerr is very like, uh, this is, this is real. It's going to happen. I'm like, absolutely not. And then today I was like, I was saying to myself recently, like if Conor McGregor ran, I would run mm. because I just would not like to think that there would not be other examples of working class or underclass people who can succeed yeah. than that, mm. than people who are small minded about you know, ethnic minorities or migration or fairness. And then as I was cleaning, I was thinking, if we, just, we, if we just all were kind to each other,
0: yeah. Like if that was your, cause I was like,
2: how would we even do that? Yeah. Like, that's crazy, Katrina. What would your message even be? And I was like, it would just be like, don't do no harm. Yeah. Like if we all thought like, don't do no, like how, how is this harming somebody? Yeah. And like, how can we empower people? Yeah. And kindness, like it can be a one-off incident. Yeah. Like Holly, my really good friend, when I first met her, she, I did the Trinity Access program. I'd gone into psychology. She was doing the Trinity Access program. I went into a room, honestly, she'll tell you the story. And I just was like, she's like, she's just started in the Trinity Access program. She's like 18. And she was like, oh my God, how am I going to get through or something? And I gave apparently this like empowering speech Mm -hmm. to her that changed her life. And she was like, I'll never forget. She said, I'll never forget you. And like, it's a running joke now. We're good friends. She's like, you didn't even know who I was. You don't even remember me. But you walked into a room and your kindness inspired a moment that just kept me on track yeah and I think we can all be that for somebody else
0: yeah
1: oh I love that Mm. that's beautiful because it's it's true Mm. and I always like every every day when I drop my son off to school I say tell the truth I it used to be I'd say tell the truth and be kind but now I say tell the truth and he says be kind because oh. I'm just like if I could just get him to do those two things yeah. like that that's all it takes it is you know it is um a kind truths as well obviously
2: yeah. <laughs> yes of course yeah well I can get confused with them like I'm yeah. no way perfect and no, I'm not me
1: always neither. kind oh like, me neither yeah. me neither but even if you're trying I yeah. think is yeah. is enough nearly yeah. if you're trying yeah um yeah so I want to talk to you a little bit because earlier you said that people connect to the book in many different ways. Mm. I think that's true. And I think that women will connect to the book in lots of different ways. Mm. Um, and I said earlier that there were times that I had to take a break. Mm. (laughs) Um, and one of those times was when you were, I think you were seven. Yeah. When you were sexually abused Mm. by your, your parents' friend. Yeah. And the sexual abuse wasn't the thing that got me. Yeah. Even though it's heartbreaking Mm. and relatable and, what got me was that when you said it to your mom that oh. she said i know he raped me too
2: yeah it's funny because i was in therapy this morning and um that's that's the that's the real cuz my it was my mom's 70th birthday this week she said mm. she's been dead for 9 years and i i took a day off and i i cried a lot actually mm. and it's the thing that piece of my book that's public really I really feel protective of her.
0: Yeah.
2: Like, you know, my mom was abused herself. Yeah. My mom had had a lifetime of abuse by men. Now I deserved to have a parent who reacted in the right way. Yeah. Who protected me. But like, my mother was really unwell and yeah. had been abused by men her whole life, and I spoke about this this morning actually, because, like, it, it's never okay. That is never okay. But, like, I completely understand now why. Yeah. And I was talking about because, like, no, some things are not in my book. You know, of I was course, actually abused yeah. by a lot more men yeah. than one man. And I chose not to write about it. I wish I could say
1: I was surprised by that, but I'm not.
2: No, because that's what happens to poor kids. We're vulnerable Mm -hmm. and and toxic, evil people take advantage advantage, of that. And so but I didn't want it to be poverty porn. No. I I, I wanted to use particular stories to showcase particular things. The breaking with my body that and my brothers. That that did to me mm. was the thing I wanted to talk about as a woman, mm. because like I I have never been okay in my body since then. Mm. To be fair, and I've spent a lifetime trying to return to that little girl and heal that, mm. and um, the issues I've had with food, my body image, my my sexual relationships, be them. <laughs> sleeping with loads of men or not or mm. being unable to orgasm or mm. sometimes orgasm him too much or whatever there's been lots of consequences of abuse and I wanted to like really be honest yeah but the bit about my mom I just kind of feel really sad for her yeah but I also what's not in the book is that me and my mom went to therapy together
0: did you oh
2: yeah so as adults as, and she was clean for a while and sober. So my mum had sporadic sobriety. Yeah. And I was in a programme um, after I got out of treatment myself. And there was a therapist there. And me and my mum and my dad actually did three sessions together. And we spoke about that. And, like, she, you know, it broke her heart mm-hmm. as a sober person. Mm-hmm. And she apologised. And, um, like... My mom, I think, could never ever forgive herself, and that's why she continued to to medicate herself. Mm. So, like, I forgive her. Yeah. Um, other people find it hard for yeah. it, when they read my story to forgive her, but I understand that uh, women who are abused a lot and are uh, downtrodden, we we make decisions that are based off from that.
1: I totally totally get that. Yeah. I feel the same way with my mom.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. I have always forgiven her. Mm-hmm. I've been angry with her.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I, for whatever reason, have always been able to understand that she made the decisions she made to the best of her ability at mm-hmm. the time. And she was a product of her own experiences mm-hmm. and her own traumas. And that was the thing that got me about that exchange between you and your mom, yeah. was the feeling of the cycle yeah, and the feeling of the fact that there are so many of us for whom that is our story. Yes. You know it's it's enraging yeah and it's upsetting yeah and it's heartbreaking and
2: it's totally unacceptable yeah it's it's funny you'd be surprised how many people have messaged me to say I had that experience I asked for help I told somebody and it was ignored or it was denied mm. like it's not necessarily an uncommon thing it's just very stark like when I when I <laughs> so when Patricia Penguin came to me to write the book um I was taking six months to decide and when I decided I said I'm if I'm writing this book it's going to tell the truth yeah like there's other books like mine that I really loved
0: Mm. but
2: they skirted around the hard things yeah and I didn't want to do that yeah because I want the I want people to face this is truth yeah you know and it may be extreme but it's truth for poor people yeah and for poor girls and um yeah, so like, and you you know the forgiveness with my mom. It's funny because even though I forgive her, I th- there's moments like where I still long for a mom. Yeah. Like this week I wasn't well, and like when I'm not well, like I just have this longing for this imaginary mother that I never had, and like Holly, who I talk about, you know, she's she's a wonderful mother. Her mother is wonderful as well. And I, I was texting Holly. I was like, "You're so lucky to have Debbie, you know." Mm. Because, um, yeah, like I, it's a big grief. It's a big grief.
1: I think when you have to mind yourself mm. always, mm. the desire—I'm going to start crying now. Yeah, the desire to be minded. Yeah, is so intense.
2: I know, I know, and I, yeah, I, I totally hear and feel that, and um it's hard to mind yourself because there's bits that are still on the periphery of yourself. I think, Yeah. you know, and it takes work Louise. Like, like, uh, you talked about having small kids, like we we have a life as well and all these other things and it's tiring. Yeah. It's tiring.
1: How did you find becoming a mother impacted Mm. you in terms of processing your own experiences?
2: You know, like um, I love my kids. I know you love your kids too, because I I've followed you for a long time, <laughs> and I you know. But I, like I, I'm not a natural mother. Like, yeah. and I'm not ashamed to say that. I don't mean like, like I don't love them. But like, I never chose to be a mom. <laughs> like it happened accidentally at 15, and then you know, at my my second son, it wasn't planned either. Now, I love them fiercely. Yeah. Like, I'm a lion, like, with the love for my yeah. boys. But it is... I find it really, really hard. Yeah. I fi- I've always found it really, really hard. I'm not one of these people that go, like, oh, God, it's the most amazing thing that I've ever done. Like, it is ma Like, there are moments where I'm like... Like, I look at John now as a father, and he's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this... This fullness in my heart—I know I'll never get that anywhere else—and like he is, he is by far my greatest achievement. By far, Mm. the fact that he's well and happy. However, like the struggle of being a parent when you haven't had a parent, and also, like I'm very controlling. I would have been very controlling, like in terms of like trying to stop them having any bad things, but like that stopping them creates the bad things yeah. for them. Yeah. Um uh and um I'm easy with that now. Um yeah. a lot easier. Like because of the book and because of therapy, I'm like, how could I be any different? Like it's a miracle that I am who I am. Yeah. And I'm the mother that I am. Like and the, the younger two are like They've like they're just normal like middle class boys like honestly yeah it shocks me I'm like how the fuck did I
1: do you ever feel jealous of them
2: oh a little bit like uh, I know I think John does a little bit so I don't really talk about John as much as I am now I hope he's okay with that but, but you can chat to him after edit yeah, like an yeah if you no want no to. I think he is but like. At Christmas time, you know, they, they just, like, I was in New York with Tig. So my 15-year-old, I took him to New York last week because I just, like, he's my last baby. He's yeah. going. He's, he's already gone nearly. He's 15. He's yeah. 15. And I wanted a moment with him. So I took him to New York and I just, I was like, how lucky, how lucky is he yeah. to be so loved? Yeah. You know, we love him. Mm. And I, I do ask, like, I check, you know, I do check. I'm like... Did, you know did you have a we've had a great life jesus mom like this is the best life
0: yeah. you
2: know so there's no there's no hurt or harm there am, isn't it
1: funny though that you because i i feel like that too like i want to check in and now i am not doing that yet but i can see myself doing yeah. it because i
2: i but we can pathologize them as well yeah yeah it's hard it like. is hard yeah and do you feel jealous yeah 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 it's
1: yeah i hard. do i and do i like i'm work you know I've, i'm working through it all the time i'm in therapy as well um oh, uh, extensively yeah
2: um, <laughs> I know
1: but i i i I feel it less now actually yeah. i when they were babies i I think a lot of people experience this this like mm. overwhelming sudden like understanding and empathy for every human being like when you realize that everyone was once a tiny baby that someone cared for you know hopefully you know in most cases and that then things can go so horribly wrong is Mm. just absolutely heartbreaking Um, and i and i was kind of dreading getting to the stage where sam my older son turned seven because a lot of the darkest stuff in my life happened right around that age and then that happened in october yeah and It was tough, but it wasn't as tough as I thought it would. I think I'd done a lot of the processing in the lead up to it. Yeah. And now I am just. I am so proud of
2: him. I know. Oh my God. I am so
1: proud of him. He is such a good, gorgeous boy. I know. Kind and sensitive. I love it. And, you know, kind to me and caring. I love it. Now I'm just
2: grateful. And you know what? Like, keep hold of that because like when they grow like they go I know I'm terrified
1: (laughs) they do go away
2: but like John's back now which is fantastic you know the thing that I found really hard was like I couldn't keep together with John's dad Mm -hmm. like you know I, I really didn't want any you know I didn't want him not to have a dad and not to have the connection with his dad but his dad chose to leave and you know, we, it wasn't meant to be, and I don't write about his dad because I didn't want to give him airtime. Yeah, in my book, but the the I don't know if we talk about the guilt enough of parenting, of like how much responsibility you have for a human being. Yeah, and it never it can be overwhelming when you have your own stuff, and then I suppose sometimes when I look at my marriage with Dave, you know, honestly, on an honest reflection. Like I, I, you know, Dave absolutely adores me and I love him. And there's been times though, where I would have maybe sacrificed things or myself to, to keep our family Mm -hmm. because I, I didn't want the kids not to have, have the two parents. Yeah. And it's not that like, he he is not a bad guy. Like he's a wonderful man. Like, and, but like sometimes you know that's hard yeah the responsibility like the awareness of like what it is what it feels like for kids to have her and so there are times so, so there's a there's an over I'm, I'm not selling pregnancy uh, parents as well here <laughs> it's amazing don't get me wrong like no, but it's, it's, it's a wonder it's multi-dimensional it is and, you know complex. It, is. it is it is but I have to say like having John like it, it, like I wouldn't say like having John made me made me change my life. I would say it gave me a drive that I didn't have before.
0: Mm.
2: Like I genuinely did not want him to have a mother like my mother, and so like it really drove me and has driven me even now to be in therapy, yeah, to be better. Yeah. So like parenting, like like conscious parenting and being aware of your own history, I think for me has driven me to really heal. Yeah. And try to like be fully one and be that example for them yeah you know um but yeah being a mom is fucking tough like it is like i you know i sometimes look on instagram and stuff and i look at these people and i think yeah. how are they so fucking happy
1: i know i'm like i'm worried I mean, about what dinners would it be like? i know what would it be like I know. but then it's a lie it has to be a lie it
2: has to be it can't be true it is but it's you know you, you, you become part of another group as well like you know this mammy yeah these mammy groups that like you know I'm I'm so bad at like so even today like Tigs on reduced hours for school because he, he, they have exams and, I, and I'm like not like so on that yeah like and all the mams are texting in the group and I'm like where's the timetable <laughs> and they're like on the e-portal I'm like what's the e-portal <laughs> I'm like fuck I'm failing I'm failing I'm failing yeah
0: and then I I'm know like that
1: I'm feeling. just doing my best at the end I of the day know, you know I know I know I know that feeling I kind of resisted The mom thing i think in many ways i was like i don't want that to be my whole personality and i i don't want to like that to take over my life and you know and then you're like oh god i'm a bad mom because i don't want it to take over my whole life no constant push pull and i remember when when sam started primary school i was like there was this kind of drive for the parents to become friends Mm. and i was like what the i was like what is this about i I was like i have loads of friends like i don't need to be making new friends i know but you really do. I <laughs> like, know. You do need you do your need- pals. Oh, no, you do. And I, thank God I've made some. Like, I would be lost without them. I but, know. like, it, it, it is a whole culture that, you know, when you're not in it, you've,
2: you, you have no idea. I resisted it a lot, especially <laughs> in this area. Because a lot of, like, it's a lot, there's a lot of people who have, like, different background to me. Mm. And so I would have felt a bit, like, out of place um, at some times in my own head. But that would have been a feeling I'd had all my life. Yeah,
1: I think a lot of it for me was about self-consciousness yeah. as well. yeah. yeah.
2: So, but like the mam, the mam's like my, two of my best friends are the mam's like, they're like Sarah and Kerry are just like the mam's I can go to with everything. And it's the worry about the kids, the leaving, sir, or just like someone's got a spare shoe or some, you know, (laughs) or something more personal and deep. And it it is, it is really important to have it. The one thing I'll say though, with having experienced a trauma, physical trauma, sexual trauma, having a bait like the out of control feeling of pregnancy was horrific for me really oh my god like like I knew I was pregnant before I did a test because the shift so like I have like a hyper awareness of like the environment yeah like mood shifts yes but I also have an intra hyper awareness in my body of change right and I don't know. I don't know if that's from trauma or what it is. I think it is. They do say it's from trauma. Yeah. But as soon as I was pregnant, I was. I knew before I did a test, and like, you know, I would have. I had to eating disorders, like dieting excessively, bulimia,
0: mm.
2: like weight issues. You know, all of this battle to try to shift and change my body.
0: Yeah.
2: Because of trauma. Yeah. Like honestly, and then being out of control in the pregnancy was. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't enjoy it. Like, yeah. and I felt so ashamed because, you know, you see these women who are blossoming and loving it. And I'd be like, I just can't, this is so horrible for me. Yeah. I really just didn't like it. You know, I didn't like, didn't enjoy pregnancy at all. Yeah. And, um, and I think that was kind of some of, some of that was like trauma. Yeah. And some of that was like out of control.
1: Yeah. It's funny. I found pregnancy. I, I really, I wouldn't say like I loved it. Yeah. But in terms of the way I felt about my body, I found it to be really positive because I felt like my body had a purpose.
2: Oh, I love that.
1: And it, you know, because I'd I'd spent so long hating it. Yes. Just hating it Mm. so like violently. Yeah. That, you know, I had, I wanted to be pregnant as well, which I think is probably a difference. Exactly. Because I wanted to be pregnant and my body was doing it. I was, I was. Connected to it in a positive way. For one of the, it, it actually first happened to me during chemo with cancer, made me realize that my body was a force for good instead of evil. Mm. But I, I kind of had the same thing with pregnancy. I'm, I'm so sorry that you didn't, but I'm sure there's so many people. Oh, there who is, relate. and I love
2: it because I can yeah. chat to, like a, a friend of mine's pregnant, and she's hating it, and and mm. she's like, you're the only one I can say it to, and I'm like, it's grand, keep keep it coming, yeah. Like I totally relate.
1: But that's your honesty as well, because honesty begets honesty. It's yeah, the same for me, like I can't, yeah. I can't, like
2: Jesus, oh, I try. But, but it's, it's like, not that I. I didn't love I can't my kids my feelings. yeah and I feel no, really of proud not. of my body yeah like I feel really proud that I was able to like there's so many women who can't have children yeah. who try so hard so it, like I don't ever want to make anyone no. feel bad like it's an absolute privilege to be able to carry your own yeah. children like
1: but it's also okay to acknowledge that it was yeah, difficult it was
2: hard yeah but being out of control is it has is a hard thing for me mm. it, it's not as much now but it, it is actually something that is a consequence of where I come from, yeah, and so like the physical being out of control is definitely something I, I have struggled with,
1: yeah. And so much was out of your control. Yeah, I so mean, much. everything was out of your control, yeah, really. Exactly. Um, so that's completely understandable, mm. I think. And um, I could literally talk to you for hours, I know. and I feel like maybe we should do that um at another time when we don't have microphones in front of us. But um, I I want to before we finish up, I want to talk about um what we can do. Mm. to try and change things for kids now yeah. because I have read lots of interviews with you and um you know a discussion about why you got the opportunities that you got and why you were able mm. to create the life that you've been able to create yeah and a lot of it comes down to you know services or opportunities that are very thin on the ground or totally unavailable yeah. in Ireland yeah um I see so much despair over the behavior of young people or Mm. um, the riots, for example, and very little conversation about what we can actually do. Mm. What do you think we can do as a society?
2: I think there's a few things. Like, I was so lucky to be here in the late 90s and early 2000s. There was a lot of investment in community then. Mm. So, like, you know, the first thing to remember is, like, nobody from my background is just going to walk into Trinity without and say i i i want to come here yeah like i didn't think you're allowed in yeah i thought it was blocked off for poor people only posh people could go in satchel satchel wearing couscous (laughs) eating is what i called them so like there is a step before that which is community Mm. like so investment in in community supports so like for me, like as a, as a, as a lone parent who was on social welfare, there was a few things that were so important as a pathway. The first one was to have a community place where I could go and get an advice. I could get, um, do a course. I wouldn't lose my social welfare. It, I could fail it and then try again. Yeah. Um, if I, if, if I didn't like it, like, so that was really important An investment in childcare as well and yeah. community childcare. So like I had a community childcare that was cheap and was paid for by college. I, before I went to Trinity, I actually had a community, I did a CE scheme and I did a pre-unit, like a kind of course in the community before I got there that was completely funded, it, it went around school. And then when I went to Trinity, I had like, it's, I kept my social welfare, I did my rent allowance wasn't taken away. All these things are like sound like basic, but, like, when you are focused on survival only, yeah. like, if there's any risk you're going to lose anything, you won't do it. No. And that's not because you're, you're like, uh, choosing not to be a doctor. No, it's
1: because you have to survive. Yeah,
2: but it's not, you don't even know that that's a choice. Yeah. yeah I, couldn't, I, I couldn't dream this life for me. Yeah. My dreams were limited by my life. And so, making it easy is really important making sure that people remain secure in their housing or have housing Mm. the other thing that was really important for me was actually therapy like Mm. free like mental health supports like I know everyone talks about education in my story but like fundamentally I went to a community worker told him I had issues and I was looking for something and within a week I was in front of a therapist and it was free and it was local and it was paid for there was no waiting lists like when a woman, particularly a mother who's broken and poor, asks for help, we need to give it a straight away. Yeah. Six months, she might not come back for five years. Exactly. Like if I look at my own mom, like my mom didn't go back when she was refused at the end of the day.
0: Yeah.
2: So like mental health supports that are free and easy and quick are really important too. And then I think there's other things that we can do just in terms of, so like funding and the systems, but then also like. The challenge is to, to, to think about, like, how do we make places like Trinity or Maynooth or universities, like, more diverse yeah. and more celebrating? Mm-hmm. So there's a mindset shift as well. Like, this is not charity. No. Like, I'm probably one of the most talented academics in our university and successful.
0: Yeah. And
2: that's because I was empowered enough to demonstrate my skills. So there's a thought process around. Yeah. Like, when we look at the kids who are involved, even in the riots, like, that anger... That, that drive, that that horribleness that we see, that can be reframed yeah. and repositioned into goods yeah. and into success. Yeah. There's a drive in us that needs to be empowered and, and celebrated.
1: But also those spaces are enriched. When they're diversified. And they're so better. everyone wins. But
2: they're more successful. Yeah. So like businesses make more money if they have diversity, especially if they have diverse leaders. Yeah. So there's a whole other economic value to it. But like on the ground things, I think what I would do is I'd, I'd change initial teacher education. I would um, ensure that all teachers are trained about inequality and mm. they're not. They do a placement in a disadvantaged school, which doesn't always give them the best understanding of why that is. Mm. I would also interview teachers rather than just getting people who've got the points mm. so like I'd be kind of changing experiences in education for kids giving the teachers the skills to be able to empower those who are more marginalized mm. I'd remove the leave insert yeah or I would re- I would actually do it differently yeah um, I do a ranking system so then we'd have kind of very diverse, kids in all of the great courses yeah so like if you went to a school in ballymun and you were top of the year you're as good as the 625 points in loretto yeah and you're both getting your place yeah because
1: context is important
2: in exactly yeah. in medicine so like i would definitely reframe them things mm. and then just individually like poor people don't have the power to change the world mm. privileged people do yeah so like if you're if you're educated and you have money or you have a life you've you've a voice like it's your job to do more and that can be on a personal level by challenging Mm -hmm. and saying things like you're saying so much about gaza and speaking out about that you because you're using your voice but like i think individually we all need to do more as well to kind of challenge inequity
0: Yeah. yeah yeah
1: well i hope every single person in power listens to you there. Um, I feel like I should just email this to everyone who's <laughs> in politics.
2: Um, they because- are listening though, but they have been invited me, which has been fantastic. So yeah. I am keynoting at so many departmental and political things I
1: wanted to finish by reading a tweet that you posted (laughs) this week Okay, it says I grew up poor born to parents who loved drugs more than me I had a baby at 16 was homeless and helpless I am now an award winning professor grants worth millions, a loving family and a full heart I just got invited to tell my story to the UN commission on February 24th what an
2: (laughs) honour Katrina I know, I'm going to the UN like what a dream come true
1: you made it happen for yourself.
2: Yeah, it's amazing. Are you y- proud of yourself? I am really proud. You should be. I'm really proud. And I'm really grateful for the people that help me. Yeah. You know, who continue to help me um, to to be able to shine my light, like, at the end of the day, you know. Um, but going to the UN, like, I've always, that's, like, the, the dream, like, mm-hmm. especially academically. Yeah. It's like, I want to tell my story to the world. I'm going to be able to. Yeah. Wow, it's phenomenal. It's and, amazing. And hopefully there'll be just more girls who can you know benefit from what I have, have to say and my experiences you yeah. know that's that's the reason why I'm telling my story basically
1: well you're doing it brilliantly what? Katrina O'Sullivan thank you so much
2: thank you Louise that was lovely <laughs>